Hello and welcome to the Jarek Show. I am Javad Malik. And on this week's action, action, action packed episode, we have got the internet going down. We have got some smart devices not being so smart. We have got one of the largest password breaches in the history of humankind from before the earth was created. And also, I introduce you to my stunt double. Ladies and gentlemen, it's The Jarek Show. Welcome to The Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Krohn. Timely topics, poorly presented. Eric Crone, my man, how you doing? You know, I'm doing great. Um, I'm I'm in mourning, though. I have to be honest. Um, yesterday, my wonderful DSLR. I was I was filming some video, and I knocked it over and smashed it to tiny little bits on the floor. So I'm feeling sad today. But being around you has obviously just brought me back around and made me happy. Thank you for being so empathetic to my issues and causes. That's why we keep you around, Javad. You know what I'm doing. Playing World's the world's smallest. smallest violin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember so, that that joke from uh, from middle school. You went to school? Weird <laughs> flex, but okay. <laughs> right, so we have got a very special guest to accompany us on this journey today. Uh, he's been mistaken for me many times uh, <laughs> through, through, our, through our careers. He's someone that has been around the block a bit, but... You, uh, you know, doesn't like to uh, hog the limelight, unlike some people we know. So it is uh, our very own Mr. Mo Amin. Welcome to the show. Hello, folks. Uh, thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah, hey, thanks for yeah, actually, uh, yeah, agreeing to be part of the show. I mean, it's obvious to me that you have not watched any of the other episodes or listened to our podcast, so that's why you're here. <laughs> well, I mean, J Javad asked me nicely, so um, how could I turn him down? I heard there was a, a pint of ice cream involved too. Uh, ben and Jerry's, um, Cherry Garcia, and, and they're all good. <laughs> yeah, Cherry Garcia, that's my favorite too. All right, you know it. That's all right. Cool. So, so you know, uh, it, 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 I, I joke about him being my stunt double. There has been times where we've both turned up at events and people have mistaken us for each other. Uh, um, the joys of being the only two brown people in the room. <laughs> at least. Twice I can um, I can remember the the rest have been purged for for my memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's harrowing, yes. beard, right? So cool. That's why I've had to grow the beard out a bit longer just to just to <laughs> have some form of differentiation. It is looking magnificent, though. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, uh, I'm one inch away from being fatwa level beard, and then I can uh, issue my own doctrine. So uh, anyway. On to the first story of the week. And this, do you remember, there's an episode of The Simpsons where the power gets cut out. And it's really good because all the kids go outside, they're flying kites, they're playing with each other. The dads are barbecuing, the, the women are all chatting or like, you know, what have you. Everyone's having a great time. And it seems like, wow, this is how society was. And then the electricity comes back and everyone runs back inside and they're sat in front of the TV again, like, like mindless zombies. And, and that's one thing the Simpsons get, got wrong because normally that, you know, they, they're quite accurate. But in this case, the, half the internet went down and people just flocked to the few sites that weren't running like Twitter and complained that the internet is down. So uh, <laughs> this happened a few days ago. Um, uh, Fastly, a, a, a brand that not many people had heard of before, 
um, before this, but they uh, there was a uh, an issue there that caused a massive blackout. Um, which one of you, Eric? Uh, what happened here? Yeah, so um, Fastly is kind of like a, a CDN. It's a content delivery network. In other words, uh, it's a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, and essentially, you know, when, when this first dropped, I had people, I was hearing people go, oh, some sort of cyber incident. Everyone always yells ransomware, right? Um, but it turns out that it was actually a customer making a very legitimate change that found one of those quote unquote undocumented features. Now, um, you know, Javad, I haven't not seen that uh, that particular Simpsons episode, but I did see the South Park where the internet went down, and it was quite wild there. But we have to know that this was for only 49 minutes the outage actually took place, but it was enough to light up Twitter when people could get to it and uh, all of that kind of stuff as well. Because, you know, we're, we're finally seeing what a house of cards the internet is in a lot of ways. Um, it used to be highly resilient and all that. And now we have such big choke points. Like anytime Cloudflare hiccups, um, we see stuff just kind of folding around us, right? We're starting to see that it, it may not be as resilient as we once thought it was. So this was interesting. It appears that, uh, and to their credit, they did a, a bug fix and rolled it out and had it like out within, I think, 49 minutes, which brought everything back up. I mean, that is some... That's some pretty good stuff right there when you can find it and fix it in 49 minutes. So, but probably quite a bit of money was lost in that particular 49 minutes as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mo, what, what do you think about these these kinds of issues? And I suppose there's a, there's a whole bunch of issues that are there, but um, the ones we we normally focus on is someone made a whoopsie. And uh, <laughs> that, that's an area you're a particular an expert in, not making the whoopsies, but helping people identify and, and, and fix those. Uh, what, what's your take on it? Well, I mean, I guess it's always a case for like when stuff is working and you're used to it working, as soon as it kind of goes down um, and people start complaining, but you never kind of, there's never that sort of time to see and that patience to see, find out what actually happened. So it's the typical thing when stuff like this happens and then um as eric said twitter goes into like a meltdown and um the world is like upside down and then what half an hour later or an hour later everything's back to normal and everybody's like yay but i mean it's from my perspective it's like once you get past a certain age it's like well these things happen um and everything will be back to normal very soon and anyway we all need a break from from both twitter and the internet sometimes right yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, we need that. Oh, sorry, Eric, go on. Well, you know, it, it was a few years ago that um, Twitter went down as well, and they were down for a, a, for quite a while. And I remember that clearly because, um, you know, I got so used to it. I was I ended up there in my office and I was taking post-it notes and I was writing stuff on post-it notes and sticking it on the glass, just, you know, keeping it down 140 characters at the time and putting it on the glass outside my office just so I could make sure people knew what I thought. I mean, it was vitally important that I be able to put that out there. But yeah, it, it's kind of funny when things like that go down and we're used to it, um, how we react to that. And and to me, that's kind of funny is to see how quickly this kind of blew up and, and the stuff that was, you know, flying around about it. Um, we as humans become trained uh, to uh, salivate when the, uh, when the ding goes off for the notification from Twitter <laughs> and, yeah, wait, and when we can't get to it. We're twanged, as my friend used to say. We're psychologically twanged. It's 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 uh, got into you so much that when when it goes away from that normal, always being available, you're like, oh, "What's happened?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. 
So speaking of, um, I don't know how to segue, but okay, next story. <laughs> <laughs> normally, I, normally I can come up with a way to segue into the next story, but today I am uh, put off by looking at the screen and seeing two me's on there. So it's it's a bit off-putting. But uh, <laughs> there's, only one, there's only one you. Everybody else is fake. <laughs> oh, that's very kind. Uh, the de 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 denial of service vulnerabilities in three open source. Wow, four things. MQTT message breakers. So it, this is related to Internet of Things, uh, dumb things uh, that are connected to the Internet that have probably no business being connected to the Internet. But hey, because you can, you do. And then people buy them because either they want to play around with it or there's no alternative available and uh, this could leave things like you know your doors locked you could lock you out of your house it could leave your your doorbell or your cctv um inaccessible and all sorts of other fun things and i suppose eric as our resident iot expert with more iot in your house than amazon um <laughs> just eric supply amazon Eric supplies Amazon. Eric and Eric only buys non-branded stuff from China, so it's it's even better. Like say, I think Eric is building his house up to be one of those capture the flag tournaments for the next DefCon. <laughs> At you least know, I think that's what it should be. You're not far off on that, Javad, and you're right. <laughs> I do. So I buy all of these little uh, boards, these uh, ESP8266 or ESP32 boards, and I do sensors and I do uh, control stuff around the house, and so yeah. I have an absolute ton of this stuff kind of running around here, just as temperature sensors, humidity sensors, motion sensors, stuff like that, you know? And uh, MQTT is a very, very significant part of it. Now, I run uh, Home Assistant, which is the, the back end that I use for it. But MQTT is used to interface a whole lot of different devices. At one point, my Samsung SmartThings stuff went through MQTT before there was a native deal. You know, there's just so much stuff that runs through MQTT. And basically, MQTT, it, it's just a short, like, JSON package that goes out and says, um, here's my status, here's my name, um, this is where I'm at, or it reports some numbers. It's nothing major like that necessarily, but it's become such a, a key integral part of a lot of these home automation and, like you said, IoT things, um, that whenever there's an issue with it, obviously, there's an issue. Now, in this case here, um, it looks like it's very prone to DDoS. Now, the interesting thing about that is you, you mentioned things like doorbells and, you know, like, oh, my doorbell is offline. Like that is a major thing, Javad, the way that you mentioned that. But we are tying all these things together. I mean, I can imagine someone out there pushing the button on my ring and like, where is this person? Um, because it all kind of ties together through that. Um, but ultimately, it's very interesting here because this has been a repurposed protocol that came out of, um, I think it was like oil pipelines or something like that. And so we're seeing a lot of these technologies and protocols that were in other places being moved into other, other areas and then finding issues like this where you can DDoS it. Now, right now, this probably isn't going to ruin somebody's day. It probably really isn't going to lock someone out of their homes. But in the future, as we get more and more dependent on this stuff and these sorts of things um, are showing up in our just regular homes more and more often, uh, obviously, these are the kinds of things we need to be forward thinking when we're looking down the path of how we're going to secure this stuff and what we're going to do to to help protect, especially consumer level things and, and and stuff like that. So security professionals, we need to be knowing about this kind of stuff. 
Well, yeah. So, Molly, from, from a human perspective, do you think people actually care or think about it? Do you think it's possible to get people to care about these things? If they see something that's online, it's only, it's dirt cheap. It's only 20 quid for, for an internet-connected doorbell versus, you know, the same price for for a for an old school doorbell and you know it comes with all these promising features and you can track stuff from your phone you know do do people really care about security or is there a way to get them to to care about it more only when it slaps you in the face right so only 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 when it's applicable directly to you um otherwise it's largely quite um abstract right um and it, it's it's when something happens directly to you that people begin to you know take some sort of notice but other than that it's like well it's over there it doesn't really affect me um especially when you think about these uh connected uh doorbells and i know loads of people have just gone out and bought it and it's kind of installed in its default mode but you wouldn't expect them to quote unquote configure it or change any password on it as long as it's working right so the same as your broadband router or any other device you use, as long as the green light's on, it works. Happy days. And then you only moan or get upset when things go down, right? Uh, when it's not available. So, but I think when all is said and done, most people have other uh, pressing issues to worry about than if their doorbell isn't secure or if their camera, internet connected camera isn't secure. Because, well, especially in the current climate, right? Um, people are dying and, and bad things are happening, right? So it's it's very difficult for people to 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 care um, until it's it happens to you and it's like oh, until it's a visceral impact. You know, Mo. One one thing that's interesting about this is, and and I've noticed this over the last couple of weeks. Um, are you familiar with the whole Amazon sidewalk thing where they're going to be like sharing some information like that, right? Or, or network bandwidth? I have, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know of it. I haven't um, delved into it. But, um... So I've seen a lot of consumers, like friends, family, stuff like that, hitting me up like, what's this thing? I need, do I need to be worried about this? Hmm. Which is interesting to me that it's coming from the consumers. It's actually trickling down to the consumer level. Um, through news stories and things like that targeted to them more than just super techie people. And they're actually hearing about it. So I wonder if that's going to change things. Well, I guess in some sense, because uh, everybody uses Amazon, right? As soon as there's something that's associated with them that is new or marketed enough that it comes into their view, um, some people will say, oh, what's this? So you'll get asked those sorts of questions. Um, and it's always when they may want to find out a little bit more, but they might be like, okay, well, I'm willing to accept the risk because it does what I want it to do and it's convenient and it's really easy. Um, and as humans, we're quite lazy um, naturally. So we'll go with the path of least friction, right? Um, and if it if it does what you want it to do, um, you'll be like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll get that. Happy days. Indeed, indeed. And speaking of path of least friction, um, people often don't like choosing uh, different passwords for, for their sites and uh, they're, they're quite lazy when it comes to security of their accounts and as a result sites get breached and apparently there's been, again, the largest list of passwords has been released online. At this stage I'm sure they're pretty much just putting dictionary words and uh, creating uh, you know random lists of words and saying here's a password list and that will make someone's password but um you know 
I, I suppose this is like, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of these types of mega dumps are accumulations or aggregations of previous dumps that have occurred. And every time one of these comes through, it's like, oh, well, I love you is the most common password and people are dumb and they should be choosing unique passwords and and uh, what have you. And, and this comes back to a, a very fundamental uh, human behavior problem and a choice architecture from a design perspective so those are the two areas that that we do like designers are uh, make systems that are poorly poorly designed uh, and they force people into making poor choices and then people that, like like you said mo they're they're lazy they're creatures of habit uh, they they just want to choose the path of less less resistance to go about this so um i suppose bringing i mean you mo have been uh, very active in the in the culture side of things, the behavior side of things uh, for, for a number of years. You actually worked with Kai on, I think, one of the early iterations of the security culture framework yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah. that was built. So uh, I suppose from, from your perspective, um, what is what are some of the key things that we could be doing better as an industry uh, in, in terms of like from a design perspective, uh, and excuse me, and, and then from a, user behavior perspective, how can we be better at influencing or lobbying them to, to, to do better? Um, the, the, the easy question is um, change the environment so that it facilitates how humans work, right? Um, and how they work from, you know, let's just take a corporate environment. Um, in, on an, if you don't understand a team's or an individual's daily workflow and their working practice and what their drivers are for productivity and, and objectives, then I'll say bluntly, fundamentally, what you're doing is busy work, right? Um, so when you're talking about awareness and behavior and culture, it, it, those terms get bandied around. And one of the first projects I did on awareness was like in 2002. And to be fair, not much has changed, right? Um, there have been there's different platforms and different uh, ways of doing things, but when you look at it fundamentally, it's it's the same thing. Um, and I'm now a proponent of, do you know what? You need to understand the environment, as in the organisational culture, um, and because all organisations have various levels of security understanding and knowledge. So there's lots of different security cultures within organisations. So obviously, if it's a large organisation, there'll naturally be more, but fundamentally. Um, when you're looking to kind of do any sort of awareness work. First, it's just that engagement piece to say, to, to let the business know that security exists, this is what they do, this is why they do it, and this is how they do it. And then one of the key pieces is to attempt to understand or establish some sort of behavioral baseline, right? So that you can say, oh, we're here, right? And we want to get there, but now that we've got some sort of baseline or we've done even as simple as just focus groups workshops and spoken to people and that's really hard right um and gone and understand what people's pain points are on the ground you, you you'll get a lot further than just saying oh we're going to run a fishing campaign right because what i found is when you've actually done the hard work so the work before the work as i call it is basically going to have those conversations having that engagement you find out a lot more than simply running 
you know, how to crack a password campaign or a, or a phishing campaign. It's actually going to understand what the pain points are on the ground and people's workflows. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm still of the opinion that that is quite hard work for a lot of people and for a lot of organizations, because you've got to put a lot of legwork in and a lot of prep. But if you do that properly and you plan it properly and you present it properly and you put the narrative there that people understand it and they say, well, it's for this reason and these are the outcomes. Um, it works quite well rather than saying, oh, we've got another platform and you're going to get lots of videos and that's fine because that's a complementary piece, but you need to take an organizational culture approach. So, no, oh. you're um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I tell you, we're, we're doing good today, Javad. Yeah, we usually do this, but uh, why don't you go ahead, Javad, ask your wonderful question. Okay, my wonderful question is, you're absolutely right, Mo. I think that this is a great approach, but you're also right. It does sound like an awful lot of hard work. So uh, when when you're a large organization and maybe you don't have buy-in to do this at the organizational level, do you think it's a good idea for someone to do a pilot at a small department-wide level and then take that, or is that not representative enough? Um it depends on the organization, but typically you would do a pilot in the beginning, right? Because then that gives you a success, success factor. Um, and then also allows, um, you know, those signing checks and, and your bosses and managers to say, okay, well, what you proposed works, we can kind of roll it out. So you're not, you're not going to go and uh, roll it across a firm all in one. You, what you logically you would do and, and with the benefit of, I've tried to do it all in one. I've tried to do it in the middle. So it is where stuffers work and half work, but you just, you take baby steps as incremental gains. Cool, and, and how long do you think a program, sorry, Eric, I know you were, you're, itch, you're itching, but this this follows this, this same thread, so I don't want to break it quite yet. Uh, but how long should organizations set aside for, and, and I know it depends on the size of the organization and nature of it, but, but typically like, I mean, this isn't something you can get done in three months, I'm assuming, or is it? Um, not really, not really. I mean, you can get, you can be the catalyst to kick it off, right? Which is often better than nothing. Because um, when you when you look at, uh, I'm not going to say all because a lot has changed, but there are still a lot of organisations whose uh, they're still in negative equity when it comes to security, right? So that that trust and that engagement hasn't isn't there. So if you go to the business and, and ask, you know, what does security do and, and how, they, how do they help you and all those sorts of things, people still will, will have that lack of trust and it comes down to that old department of no sort of, uh, sort of approach. But um, you, I've always said that there needs to be some sort of incremental gains and it doesn't have to take that long, but it, it, your mindset has to be, well, let's make a start, right? Because there are so many other things going on what you want to be is that, is that catalyst to help to go in the right direction. Because you don't want to say, well, we're all going to, we're going to do this whole massive program and it's going to be successful in six months or a year because it won't. Because sometimes it takes you three, six months to build the right relationships and the engagement mm -hmm. to do what your, what your vision is or what you're wanting to do. Wow, that's, uh, that's I love that. Actually, and so you know, the, the talk about culture is just such an important thing that that is, I, I find overlooked and and sometimes misconstrued uh, throughout the groups. You know, but it's something we really need to concentrate on 
within organizations because clearly cybercrime is not going away, right? Every organization, I don't care what you do, is susceptible to it. So we need to make sure that we're getting people in that. Now, you touch on the fact, you know, that obviously organizations have a culture of their own, but at some point in time, organizations also end up with subcultures based on departments or levels of seniority slash, um, you know, whatever. The, the executive culture is different than, you know, the worker culture or the, the accounting culture. And so at some point in time, you have to kind of take that into account also with how you're communicating to them, right? Yeah, I mean, so if you ran some sort of baseline exercise and you ran like a culture survey or you, you I hate calling it survey because everybody gets surveys and, you know, that's the last thing somebody wants to see. So pro tip, just call it a study, right? <laughs> and engage with your internal comms and marketing people. So set it up correctly. So there's, there's always a problem where um, even security leadership sometimes doesn't understand that if you're wanting to make some sort of change, you need to do the setup right, right? You can't just go and say, we're going to switch it on or we're going to launch this because you're going to get a lot of people um, not very happy, right? So the, the setup is always important. But it's specifically, you, you, you have team cultures, you have departmental cultures, and I've even said you have personal cultures. So understanding, you know, being appreciative or empathizing with, well, let's just take a finance team, for example, uh, there's 20 people in it. Um, how do you know that all those 20 people are happy, healthy, well-being's fine, and they're going to listen to and understand the messaging that you're that you're that you're going to be rolling out? So it, there's there's a personal culture, there's a team culture, there's a departmental culture, and then that becomes your organizational culture. So organizational culture is not just one thing. So it, and it has its many kind of facets, and it's it's just a dynamic thing, right? So companies are dynamic things. They're always moving to deliver, make stuff available. And then you've got security that comes in and people say, we're going to fix security. Well, no, you can't. You're not, you're not meant to, in some sense, fix it. You're only meant to manage it, right? So it's when people say, we're going to fix it, it's like, well, you need to stay, take a step back and understand what you're, what you're saying because it's those things will always exist. The issues will always be there, but it's actually managing it. And the way that you would do that is to actually understand the environment and say, well, do we need to change a policy? Because those things that we push down, do they actually work for people on the ground? Most times not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is there a piece of tech that they're currently using or that we've rolled out that is actually a hindrance? You know, so those sorts of things. Do we need to look at our processes and policies? So this is uh, engineering, re-engineering the environment so that it facilitates better working. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that there's you, you touch upon several really good points there and, and even your point about not don't call it a survey, call it a study. Um, I was reading something about how in, in the UK in hospitals, we, we call the uh, A&E department, the accident and emergency department. And in common, um, just just how we write it and uh, has reported and everyone just calls it A&E. And actually, that's a contributing factor to why it's um, overused so much because it's a cute name, A&E. Whereas if people refer to it as accident and emergency, people wouldn't be using it for trivial items because yeah. psychologically it, it has that impact of like, well, it's for accident and emergencies. Yeah, those words and, are, they have power. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and I think in terms of architecting things, it's like even simple things like if you change it from select a password to select a passphrase, 
that has power as well. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the add-on to that is then if you're if you're promoting passphrases, then you need to be able to facilitate that, right? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of people who say all oh, security is everybody's responsibility. Is it? Right. So, so when you say that, you need to be able to make sure that your environment facilitates that. So when you talk about passphrases rather than passwords, then you need to have, as far as I'm concerned, a you know a standardized password manager that is part of the default build and allow people to you know, get people to use it. But the way you would do that is like, it exists. This is what it looks like. This is how it can help you and make it easy. Yeah. So th there are, there are lots of instances where it's really good rhetoric. Um, and, and I'm saying this with hindsight of like lots of different environmental bits of experience, but um, it, it, it's, it's, Easier to say, but very difficult to do when you say cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility. In in theory, you could say that, but the practical actions of that and the behaviors that you would expect um, in a lot of organizations, they're very difficult to, to kind of implement, or it takes a long time. It, it's not like, um, you know, we clap our hands and make it happen. It's, it's, it's quite hard work. Yeah, now, now you're talking like real, real danger. You're in dangerous territory here right now because you're talking about taking work away from all these consultants who would love to sit there and say, it depends. And, uh, you know, who, who's, who's made a career out of rhetoric. I think you tweeted something uh, a little while ago. Hold on, let, let me just bring up the tweet. Um, oh, did I not delete these random... <laughs> <laughs> Eric saw it. Uh, um, where, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Um, Oh, can't find it now. He's so uh, well prepared. No, no, because it just came to mind. It wasn't like a pre-prepared. Um, I don't know where you where you sent it. Now. Oh, my tweets. Well, while so he's was, looking, while, while yeah. he's looking for that, Mo, um, I just, you know, you bring up a really interesting point, and the idea that security is everyone's responsibility. I honestly do believe there's truth to that, but you're dead on, in in my opinion, about we also need to enable that. We have to take yeah. that to the next step. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely truth in it, but it, it's, it's it's you have to be because that, that that phrase has power, um, as far as I'm concerned, and it, it's it's you've got to make sure that if you're selling that to people internally you need to get them to say oh, okay I, that's what that's what i'm being told and it works for me because as soon as somebody sees that it doesn't work for them well guess what you've just lost trust right well you've, you've just broken it and we've asked people to do impossible things as security professionals we tell them your password has to be 15 characters upper lower can't contain this no dictionary words uh so on so forth you know extra characters and don't ever write it down and then we walk away and, and how do we expect people to be successful with that? How do we expect them not to reuse the one password that they finally figured out that meets all these things? Or when it's time to, you know, re refresh the password, when it tells you you need to change your password, they don't just add an exclamation point to the end of it or whatever. You know, we have a lot of responsibility in making sure that people can be successful with the things that we put out to them and require of them. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to just a normal, everyday person working in their role, like the, there, are, there are other pressures in people's lives, especially now, um, quite serious pressures, that um, most people want to go into work, do the best job that they can, and they want to adhere to all the policies and processes, but fundamentally, they're going to try to get through the day with the least amount of friction, right? So have I finished my tasks? Have I gone to the meetings that I needed to go to? Um, 
and have I done what I wanted to get done? And then along comes security and it starts adding uh, friction or aggravation or it becomes a burden, right? Um, and that's what it becomes difficult. So it's the environment has to facilitate what we what we're the messaging and the the uh, the, the way that we want people to behave, you know. And, and that's 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 an approach that is not it's not magic, but it is it's obviously not easy either. Bud, did you find your uh, did you find the tweet there? Yes, I did. Uh, never underestimate. Uh, actually, Mo, can you read that out in your voice? Because it's your tweet. Never underestimate the audacity of the privilege to stand up and assert their expertise and authority without having an ounce of experience to back it up. Yeah. So, so this is a screenshot because Eric took this screenshot and he sent it to me with the caption, Mo is calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I, I really did. Um, you know, because we, we've kind of had that talk. There, there's so many people in security um, and just in life in general, honestly, that stand up and they proclaim something loudly and other people believe them because they proclaimed it very loudly. And and frankly, a lot of times they have no idea what the hell they're doing, but uh, they, they have a loud voice and therefore they're heard. Yeah. And sometimes when somebody says something with enough confidence and they and they fit a a template, a look, a way of being, um, and it's said with alleged gravitas, um, then, you know, a lot of people will sometimes believe it or, or follow along. Um, I'm just a cynical sort, and I like to just probe and make sure that, um, you know, I know what I'm looking at, I know what I'm reading. I mean, that that, that specific uh, tweet was in relation to something more political, so I'm not going to go into that. But um, in terms of security, yeah, that happens. I mean, we, we all know that there are uh, characters in, you know, I mean, it's, it's not specific to security, so nobody's special, but it happens in all walks of uh, profession, right? But seeing as we're talking about security, yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you can, you can see that pretty much every day. And yeah. it's when that person becomes trusted and people blindly follow that advice it's it's uh it can be a bit dangerous and it's embarrassing for the industry to be there <laughs> q infosec twitter right javon <laughs> we we talk about this all the time we we see things that we're just like uh yeah, and I mean, it, it is it's the rock star right some rock star says something and everybody just follows along yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's it well yeah i mean i i can rant and and, and say stuff sometimes that where i don't think about it but um hopefully i've got a bit of self-awareness to kind of STFU, you know, before I say something or just park it in drafts and then say, no, that doesn't make any sense. Or you don't want to say that. And <laughs> nowadays on Twitter, if you say something, the, the odds are that somebody will engage you in some random thread that will take an hour. And to be fair, I don't have time for anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> and fun. it changes nothing, right? Indeed. Yeah, nothing. Indeed. So, um, folks, um, we, 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 we're carrying on this conversation, but just a, a quick reminder before Eric kicks me virtually <laughs> that you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, the .com is the, the direct link. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter at The Jerick Show, uh, or you can follow us individually as well as the our, our handles are on the screen and which you can't see if you're listening to us <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> But uh, Mo, your website is moamin.com, and uh, like all good bloggers, you you 
uh, I know I suffer from this. I start off with good intentions. I, I blog like three times in a month and then I don't blog for three months in a row. Uh, but um, one interesting thing I found, obviously you talk about InfoSec and you talk a lot about the human factor in security, but you, you also talk quite a bit about uh, mental health and looking after yourself. Um, in terms of people I know who work in the industry, I think I look at you and I think of someone who's really got a good grasp on uh, what it means to have a good work-life balance. Like you do a contract and then you're not in a rush to jump into the next contract immediately and burn yourself out. You do believe in taking time time out um, and, and looking after yourself. And and there's a, there's a blog post. I'll, I'll just uh, share, bring it up. Uh, where, where you also speak about uh, context switching, which which I thought was was a really fascinating uh, blog post. When you when when you when you posted it and I and I read it and I was like, oh yes yes yes, that makes yeah totally with you on that one. So um, so so uh, talk us through a bit about how you how you view it and what you think we could all be doing better. Um, okay, so the first thing is um, rule number one: you should never cheat yourself. Right. So you should always look after your well-being first. And I, I say this having kind of maxed myself out on, on a piece of work once. And then like when it ended, I was like, you know, when you just oh, gone. Right. Um, and so that, that sort of lessons learned from that. But when you're looking at context uh, switching, I mean, I, I'm, I kind of relate this back to lots of uh, kind of experience in terms of you've got 15 million different things going on at once. Right. And you're you're kind of you're sitting when we're in we're, i'm relating this back to being in an office environment but it, it translates uh, to now as well but you know somebody comes to your desk and desk stops you says oh can you have a look at this you answer your you, know, you, you kind of have a five minute chat and then you go back to what you were doing you think oh hold on a minute what, what did i mean to say on this on this slide or in in this paragraph you know in this email and then you kind of it takes you some time to get back into that flow and then your phone rings or then a Slack message comes up or a Teams thing comes up. And like before you know it, it the day is ended. You think, well, what have I actually done? Right. And, and, you, and you, you begin to feel drained. So I kind of um, I had that image in my head. and I didn't really know how to represent it. Um, and I was like, well, how much how do I how do I um, kind of put a percentage to it? Because there's always, uh, I guess, tolerance that you can probably tolerate in a day. Right. And say, well, you know what? Um, I'm happy to, you know, kind of engage in stuff that is outside of my core work stuff. And if I want to, if somebody needs help or if um, I need to get involved in something that's an emergency, that's a different thing. But um, I kind of, I, in some sense, I made up the percentages based on what, what I felt. But a lot of people kind of read, uh, read that and, and um, said, oh, actually, yeah, I know what you mean. I get that because... Again, this is not, it's not, I'm not special. This is not a, it's a logical thing in, in the work environment. Everybody has that. Some people are really good at it. Some people can context switch and go back, right? And they're machines and they're really good. But the thing is, uh, if you don't look after yourself and kind of manage your time, do it's a bit like, you know, when you put a little bit of money away every month and then at the end it grows and it's like, you've got a big pot. It's that same sort of thing. If you don't look after yourself, every sort of day there's a little bit of like kind of badness if you will or just negative energy building up and then sometimes it can get to a point where you know there's there's a point where you think well i'm burnt out right i'm i'm, I'm not feeling well so that's why i wrote that because primarily for a lot of new people coming into not even in first but just general work 
because I think a lot of people, you know, who get into the work environment are, uh, for want of a better word, you know, they had their glazed kind of eyes and I've got a new role and it's nobody taught me any of this. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, if I write something like this, it might help somebody. Um, so there's a couple other similar kind of newbie blogs mm -hmm. that I wrote. But yeah, rule number one, never, ever cheat yourself. You know, I got to say, as an American, knowing American culture, I think this is the biggest American hit piece I've ever seen. Uh, you know, because, <laughs> and I say that only because, you know, the American culture is run yourself till you can't run yourself anymore. Uh, and then we, we especially, I know, have a reputation for not taking care of ourselves uh, and not working on any sort of mental health stuff. We just kind of work and work and work and work until we fall. Um, yay, capitalism and, you know, our, our big companies benefit from that. But I think it's super important, actually, that we that we see this and be reminded of it, honestly. And I know I'm kind of joking around about the American thing, but I know, you know, over here, especially, I see people just work themselves to death for somebody else and do nothing to take care of themselves and their family. And they forget yeah. that we don't live to work, we work to live. And I know that's kind of cliche, but that's what ends up happening is we end up spending our whole lives just dedicated to our jobs. And, and it really does a disservice to us uh, in the long run. And so I, I think it's actually great. The more we can bring this kind of stuff to the surface and have people think about it, at least the better off we're going to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean I, I've just shared a tweet on the screen. It's uh, it's like European out of offices are like, I will not be working until 18 September. All emails will be automatically deleted. Americans, I am in the hospital. Email responses may be delayed up by up to 30 minutes. Sorry for the inconvenience. If urgent, please reach me in the ER at whatever. And and I think it, it's, uh, it's a joke, but I think you're absolutely right, Eric. It's uh, definitely a there is a cultural issue, but I see a lot of those behaviors creeping over to this side of the pond more yeah, and more. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I, I think you, yes, it may be more prevalent on that side of the pond, but that doesn't make the rest of the world special yeah. or unique in, in that, because I think it's just, it's just modern working practices, right? And the expectation put on people, and, and sometimes when you, the expectation that you put on yourself um, and the, the heights and the goals that you want to reach, um, and sometimes people lose sight of what's beneficial to you really in the long term and what's beneficial for your health. So, I mean, you mentioned, Javal, I, I, I take breaks between work. Um, typically, I get really focused on, on, on work. So you become like, you, you know, imagine a sponge and it kind of contracts and gets tight. Your brain can focus. And then as soon as you're on a break, you allow yourself to relax. And then the sponge gets goes back to its normal shirt, normal size. And then. I find when I'm at that state, I'm able to take more in um, and I become relaxed and I'm enjoying stuff more. Whereas when I'm focused on a piece of work, you become, I mean, everybody knows you become kind of laser focused and you, you want to hit targets and you want to do your best and all those sort of things. But that's where you probably need to make sure that when you do, when you are doing that, then, you know, a bit of self-care is, is a good thing. And yeah. if you constantly keep that sponge compressed, it will eventually not expand back to yeah. where it should be. And that's, well, that's I think, what we see a lot of, right? If you constantly stretch yourself, yeah. right? If you take an elastic band and you, and you pull it and you pull it, there's a point at which it snaps, right? So that is, is I've said that, I've mentioned that analogy to a lot of people and they're like, oh, 
because you don't you don't you don't always think about it but that's how i kind of think about it there's a tolerance at which you get to and you stop there because then if you pull it anymore it's going to snap and in humans when you snap it's bad right it's not good yeah absolutely absolutely so i suppose my, my key takeaway from here is uh you know look after yourself take those breaks um i i actually do personally find myself far more productive when i do take those scheduled breaks and i come back a lot more refreshed it's actually one of the things that i find that even though i've been working from home for for many years um the commute into work and i used to commute in on a motorbike was probably one of the best times because on the bike there's no radio there's no one to talk to it's just in the hell you know you just got the helmet on and you, and you just ride through and it, i actually found that I, my brain used to work out so many things uh on the way to the office i used to plan my day and subconsciously work things out and on the way back it, it would actually be that really good uh sort of like dmz between office and home where like everything would just get filtered out and i'd be nice and relaxed when i get home now i just like i finish work and i step outside and my kids there my wife's there my parents there like oh do this do that and and there's just no no time to that switch that context eric what was your uh biggest takeaway from from today yeah i think there's some Yes, he thinks there was some great stuff. That's good. <laughs> Mo, anything you'd like to say to uh, wind it up? I said I'm scared now. Will you just cut me off when I say <laughs> No, I'd never cut you off, man. I need uh, you as my body stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it, it, it's, I, I think, the, I guess, look, we can talk about security and culture and awareness and all, all those sorts of things, but um, I guess the, the, la the latter part of our discussion is, is, is probably the most important. Like, you know, um, folks need to look after themselves. Um, and especially when we're working from home nowadays, I can, I'll be blunt. I've found myself like you kind of you can get immersed really quickly because that that commute's not there. So if you're in London and you're commuting an hour one way and an hour back, you've got basically two hours of your day. And then I have found yeah. myself like adding them onto the workday. Yes, and you have yes. to check yourself before you kind of wreck yourself, right? Um, and yeah, so it, it's just kind of yeah. I'll go back to the you know people need to look after themselves. Um, what we do is is you know important in in some sense but your health and the longevity of how long you do what you're doing for is is probably you know, well it is more important than most other things so it's, i'll go back to my golden rule never cheat yourself so cool i'll, I'll end on so, that. check yourself before you wreck yourself mo i mean uh <laughs> collaboration with ice cube that's yeah, all I've got to say about that. It was, it was, wasn't it? I'm not going to get sued or he's not going to start following me on Twitter and like, you know. <laughs> well, in that case, I, I I do not know this man. I've never met this man before. <laughs> he's not affiliated with the Jarek show or anything else like that. So with that, thank you so much, Mo. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to speak to you. Thank and you. Uh, thank speak you. to you soon. Thank you, folks.